This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. We are going to wrap up our Sunday morning series entitled, After We Fall Asleep, which, uh, as, as I've said, has nothing to do with falling asleep physically, even though some of you tend to do that on a Sunday morning. Um, but the Bible around 40 times actually talks about uh, falling asleep referring to death and dying. And so this has been a series about what happens after we take our last breath. Now, we've covered a lot of ground over the last six weeks. We've talked about the judgment. We've, we've talked about heaven. We've talked about hell. We've talked about rewards that Christians will receive at the judgment seat of Christ. We've talked about the cosmic conflict uh, where Lucifer, and there are only really about two scriptures that, that talk about this, but Lucifer the guardian cherub of the angels rose up against God. He was prideful, wanted to be like God, tried to take God down, lost the battle, was thrown out of the heavens along with a third of the angels. And Lucifer, more commonly known today as Satan or the devil, is trying to get revenge on God by taking down all of his children. Think of this. If someone wants to hurt you, What's a pretty good strategy? Go after your kids. Because if someone hurts your kids, that's more painful than hurting us. And so Satan is trying to hurt God, and his strategy is by going after his children. Now, this morning, as we wrap up this series in in a totally different style lesson than we typically give on Sunday mornings, and so if this is your first time here, Understand this is very different than what we do, but we want to deal with some questions regarding the afterlife that you, on occasion, ask me. Uh, Seven, they say seven is the perfect number, so we're going to try to strike perfection this morning by asking and trying to answer seven questions. And here are the ground rules for our study this morning. Um, as well as for every lesson that I give. And could we have the house lights up just a little bit? I want to see the eyeballs this morning. So um, here are the ground rules for, for our study th- this morning. Uh, whenever the Bible speaks clearly towards a subject, I will try to give an answer based on the Word. Realizing, however, there are some subjects in which uh, the Bible may not address specifically then in those situations I will try to look at biblical principles that apply, but then there are also those, those questions and, and, and answers that I call opinion answers, opinion questions, and, and uh, for those questions, here's what I'll say. I, I, I'll say, I'm not sure, but here's what I think, and at every step of the way, you have the right to disagree with me because, as always, you have the right to be wrong, so is that fair enough this morning? <laughs> Let's dive in and and get this first question out of the way. And, and really this question that, that seems to be lighthearted is way more controversial than you would think. I, I've done messages on all sorts of heavy and intense subjects, but it seems that some people, man, they, they, get, they go crazy emotionally over this topic, over this question. And even though they may not have the backing of Scripture, and after church this morning, after the early service, I had people coming and say, well, this is what I think. And, and, you know, that's the way we back it. This is what I think. And, 
and they, uh, they get really emotional and uh, almost are ready to fight at the drop of a hat. So let's begin asking this question that will rankle some of you, my dear friends, but you maybe just need to take a chill pill to begin with, okay? First question, do our pets go to heaven? Now, I realize for a Sunday morning study, this question sounds superficial, and and if you're looking for a reason to criticize me or criticize this church, this question will probably give you that reason. You can say, that's the church of God of holiness for you. I've told you, they're no substance. They're all fluff. (laughs) If you would have been here this entire series, you probably would not say that, knowing that we've dealt with deep subjects like hell and, and the judgment. But anyway, as I listen to you talk over the last 28 years, this question is on some of your minds. So do our pets go to heaven? Well, I want to tell you that absolutely, unquestionably, the answer is, it depends. (laughs) What kind of pet are we talking about? And my wife said, Joe, don't you dare pick on cats today. (laughs) And so I'm not going to say anything about felines. Uh, I'm going to be uh, a good boy today. But but when it comes to our pets, I understand what it's like to get attached to pets. Uh, This past week, I was thinking of the different pets my family has had. We've had dogs. and, And yes, this is really hard for me to admit publicly because it probably puts me over into the category of being a hypocrite. But yes, our family has had cats. We had a cat that we called Tom, and I know that's really creative, but Tom Trussell, and I'm sorry if if admitting that causes you to lose confidence in me and feel like I'm a total hypocrite, but but we've had dogs, we've had cats, we've had birds, we've had had rabbits, we've had ducks, we've had lizards, we've had snakes, we've had rhinoceros beetles, we had a gray fox when we lived in South America, we had an ocelot, which is like a bobcat with a long tail that was in South America, we had a squirrel. For a short time, we actually had a jaguar, not the car, but the cat, yes, the cat. We've had hermit crabs, mice, hamsters, turtles, fish, eels, bearded dragons. So I understand what it is to have pets. And I even understand the pain of having to say goodbye to a pet. I, um, I, I've gotten pretty emotionally attached to uh, some of my pets. Herman uh, was a basset beagle hound that... I had in high school, he was my buddy. I mean, we went hunting together. He was my soul brother. Uh, I mean, you know, Bassett Beagle does a lot of howling, and that was our language between us. We understood each other. But one day, Herman got run over. I took it hard. He was my buddy. Tassie was another one of our, our special pets. She was a Pomeranian We had for 14 years, and, you know, we trained her to to shake, to speak, to stay, to count, count to three. And really, we'd say count to three, she'd go, ruff, ruff, ruff. And she could spin around, she could stand up on her back legs. And when I would walk into the house in the evenings, I would always ask her, Tassie, how was your day? And and she would answer, ruff. (laughs) I'm serious, ruff, ruff. And she always had rough days. She never had a good day. It seemed like it was always rough. And I know this will weird some of you out but, uh, and probably disappoint some of you and you'll lose confidence in me, but Tassie slept on my pillow at night. And if you ever wondered why I had dog breath, that's the reason right there. But, 
But one day I got a call from Faith and she said, Joe, please come home. I think Tassie's dying. And by the time I got home, she was gone. And as I've done many times, I dug a little shallow grave in our backyard. In fact, we have so many pets that are buried there. I'm afraid that sometime somebody's going to discover all the bones and think it's an active crime scene. But, but as I laid her remains to rest, I had to fight back the tears. So I let you know this to tell you that I, I'm not this insensitive monster that hates animals, much to the contrary. But in diving into this question, let's, let's just for fun, before we get into a little bit of logic and a little bit of Bible here on this question, uh, and, and by the way, this, uh, this lesson will get much more serious in just a couple of moments, so enjoy the levity while it lasts. But those of you who think that Tassie or, or Herman or your Fluffy is going to go to heaven when he or she dies, raise your hand, okay? Anybody think that your pet is going to go to heaven? Okay, we've got a few of those. Before we get into the biblical discussion, let me give you some logic here. For those of you that think pets do go to heaven, let me just ask you, okay, if there is a heaven for pets, is there also a hell for pets? And how do pets make the cut? You know, if your dog has too many accidents on the carpet, is that what causes him to go to hell? Or if your pet bites five people, or, or if a pet bites a preacher, for sure, they ought to go to hell. Or would you say, well, it's the pets of godly Christian people that go to heaven, and they just kind of inherit your faith, but the owners are not Christians, and poor pet goes straight to hell. And, or would you say it's certain classifications of animals you know, that they go to heaven, maybe dogs and cats, and that was hard for me to say, but dogs and cats, and, and birds and bunny rabbits, but, but the, they, they'd go to heaven, but the bearded dragon and the rhinoceros beetle, you know, they don't go to heaven because they look too much like the devil. You can kind of see where I'm going. Well, Lane jokes aside, I think that most of us know that our pets will probably not go to heaven or hell with us, and the reason we know that is because when God created man, he created him in his own image, and God breathed spiritual life into man. Now, God created animals, but not in his own image. I don't think God looks like a rhinoceros beetle or a bearded dragon. God created animals, and, but nowhere do we see that God breathed spiritual life into animals. We also know what Romans says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and as far as I can tell, even Tassie, who was so smart and always would tell me she had a rough day, she never called on the name of the Lord. Now, before you shoot me for saying that Fluffy may not go to heaven with you, let me, let me say that it appears that there will be animals in the millennium and even in the new heavens and the new earth. And we read in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, the wolf will lie, will live with the lamb. It's going to be an amazing time. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together, and a child will lead them, including the lion there. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an, the ox. The infant will play near the hole of a cobra, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. And then Revelation 19 shows us that Jesus will ride in on a white horse, implying that in some fashion there will be animals after we die, but sorry to disappoint you, as far as I can tell, it probably will not be Herman, nor Tassie, nor Fluffy, and that was really hard for me to say because my wife said if I took that stance she would leave the church. 
I hope she was only joking. Let's deal with another question that takes us a bit deeper. Is it okay to try to contact the dead? And this question really unpacks a lot of other kind of uh, sub-questions, such as, is it okay to go to palm readers? Is it okay to go to crystal ball readers? Or is it okay to pay $4.99 a minute so Madam Weirdo can tell you where you lost your car keys? Is this okay? Is this innocent? What does Scripture say about this? Well, I believe that Deuteronomy chapter 18 answers that. And let me just read uh, several verses beginning with verse 10. And do not let your people, did you catch that? Do not let your people practice fortune-telling or sorcery or allow them to interpret omens or engage in witchcraft, witchcraft or cast spells or, listen, function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is an object of horror and disgust to the Lord. It's because the other nations have done these things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. So did you catch that? That's why God was saying, I'm going to remove these people and let you have the promised land because they've been doing this kind of stuff. Verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The people you're about to displace consult with sorcerers and fortune tellers, but the Lord your God forbids you to do such things. So psychics, interpreting omens, crystal ball readers, even reading your horoscope, those things, in my opinion, are not cute. They're not innocent. I believe they can be dangerous because they can serve as gateway activities to things that involve the dark underworld. You say, okay, Joe, what about going to one of those so-called prophets that make their way around to different churches? And they've even made their way to uh, churches that aren't in our community, and they will urge people to come and They will prophesy over them and sometimes tell them what they've done in the past and then what will happen to them in the future. And and, and I realize that not everybody will will, will agree with me, but I still urge caution here because, uh, let me just say it this way, I know there's the true and the biblical gift of prophecy. We can't deny that. But most of the time, prophets in the Bible were, were people who spoke for God, and they gave God's word, and they gave God's message. And, and obviously, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. In fact, we, we need more true prophets today, people that are willing to boldly speak up for God, boldly be his mouthpiece, his messenger. Prophecy is a gift in the Bible. We don't want to deny that. But I'm generally uncomfortable with those who call themselves prophets, if their main goal is to try to look into your past and say, well, you know, I see this in your past and there was abuse and all that kind of stuff and, or I'm going to look to your future and you know what? What I see is that some good things are going to happen to you and if you're trying to sell your house, your house will sell and if you're single, then I see that young man that he's going to come into your life one of these days and you're going to live happily ever after. You know, I'm not saying that all this stuff is hocus-pocus, But the Bible urges caution about swallowing everything that even good and godly people will tell you. Because 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I'm a firm believer that God gives us guidance and direction. Amen? And I'm a firm believer that at times he uses people to do that. When we took this church and he comes to the early service, but my dear friend Van Baker, just a man of God and a man that I love so much, he helped, God helped use him to give direction to us. He would pray and and, and he gave us some counsel that, that I believe was from the Lord. But just because someone says, I have a message from the Lord for you, doesn't always mean that it's from the Lord. It could be. It might be, but it might not be. Test the spirits. It may be from the Lord, or it may be a message from a well-meaning person that maybe just wants to encourage you. Or perhaps on occasion, it comes from someone that wants to manipulate you. And the message may not always be from God. Another scripture that deals with this is, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. So don't be guilty of throwing cold water on the moving of the Spirit. If the Spirit of the Lord is truly moving, don't be one of those that tries to put out the fire. Verse 20 says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt. So don't look down on those. Don't look down on the message or the messenger that are bringing the Word of God Verse 21, again, test everything. In other words, don't be gullible. Don't swallow hook, line, and sinker. What some perhaps well-meaning and even godly person is telling you, the Bible says, test everything. How do you do that? Search the Scriptures. See if it lines up to biblical principles. Seek advice from other godly people. And then... It says, hold on to the good. And of course, the implication is let go of the bad, hold on to the good. Um, and then verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. So prophecies can be good. But here is the bottom line. Don't put more trust in a person than you do the Word of God. This is never wrong. A person might be wrong. They might be right. They might be wrong. This is always right. And... Before we move on, please don't get involved in anything that might seem harmless and innocent, but could be a gateway to the underworld. Amen? We still on the same page? I hope so. Let's deal with another question. And and I want to just slow down here for a moment and say this is a very heavy subject that we're going to approach with a lot of carefulness and, and, and sensitivity. Um, in fact, honestly, I'd rather not even deal with this topic, but I had this question asked me this week, this past week. Can a person who commits suicide go to heaven? And again, we're going to walk through this question very gently and very sensitively because for some of you and as I saw some of you walk in, I know this won't be easy for you, but I believe that we need to deal with this. First of all, as we kind of ease into this question in our country, one study said that around one million people attempt suicide a year. That number is twice what it was a decade ago, so that tells you how many people are hurting. 
They say that about 1 in 15 who attempt suicide actually succeed. 1 is too many. And as a pastor, and again, I know I'm dealing with some people here that this is you, your family, but I've done way too many funerals for people who in a moment of, in a moment of desperation did something that not only changed their lives, but changed the lives of their family. I've had services for and stood by families of suicide victims of men and women, old and young. One was 14 years old. It's never easy. And the anguish for the family is unparalleled. And many times this repeats itself in future generations. I've had the responsibility of preaching the funerals for those who have taken their lives and three different generations in one family. This brings about so much anguish when they deal with the trauma years down the road. And so just talking about this brings up all sort of emotions within me and I know within some of you. And I just want to say before we go on and look at this scripturally, if any of you are dealing with thoughts of self-harm, I beg of you, I plead with you, Talk to someone today. Let them walk the journey with you. And I promise, even though you may not feel loved, because sometimes whenever you are so full of depression, you feel alone that nobody cares, but I promise you, someone does care. And, and, and there are people that would do anything for you, but they need to know where you are. Let someone be there for you. Self-harm is never, ever, ever the answer. Besides that, they've done studies. They say that over 90% of the people who attempted suicide, but they did not succeed. They said if they would have just waited 24 hours longer, they would have probably not attempted it. They would have just waited. But as we look at the increasing dilemma in our society, if we go to the Bible, we see that there are at least seven examples and, and perhaps more of people in the Bible who took their own life. Saul in the Old Testament, when he was wounded, he was in a battle and he was wounded in the battle and he didn't want the enemy to take him as a captive. And so the Bible says he took his own sword, his own spear and fell on it and took his life. In another situation that you know well, Judas in the New Testament, he betrayed Jesus and he couldn't live with himself. There was so much guilt and he realized he had betrayed innocent blood and the Bible says he went out and took his life. Back to the Old Testament, Samson, if you remember, once he regained his strength from God, he, he asked that little child to take him to the columns that held up that big building where on the roof of that building were thousands of people that were celebrating the fact that Samson had been captured. They'd taken out his eyes. God gave him strength and he began to push on the columns knowing that yes, he would take out the thousands of people on the, on the roof of that building. But in so doing, he knew that it would take his life as well. So Scripture has examples where people have taken their lives. So back to our question. Can someone who takes their own life spend eternity in heaven? Well, try to hear me out. 
As I've studied the Bible, I haven't been able to find a verse that says, if you take your own life, you'll go to hell. In fact, in the Bible, it, 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 in certain situations, it mentions that you're a hero. You know, Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down or take his life for his friends. And this could be illustrated uh, during times of war. Someone throws out a grenade and, and a soldier sees it, jumps on it, covers it up, takes his own life, but in so doing, saves the lives of his buddies. And we would all say, he took his life, but he's a hero. She's a hero. Or we've heard the stories of, of heroes during some of the recent school shootings. And, and this one back a few years ago, Sandy Hook, Ann Murphy, who was 52, she was a wife and a, and a mother of four. When the gunman came into her classroom, she put herself in front of the students trying to save them. And the gunman took her down and her body was found covering children trying to protect them from the gunman. We applaud her. Victoria Soto, age 27, also at Sandy Hook, when, when she heard the shot, she, she hid the kids in the closet, and as the gunman came into her room, she jumped in front of him, trying to distract him, and in so doing, took multiple bullets, lost her life, trying to protect her children. We call these people brave and heroic. So what are a few principles that apply? Well, first of all, we know that murder is a sin. And taking your own life is a type of murder. You're, you're murdering yourself. So, so I, I, I don't think there's any way to look at it differently, but suicide is very, very wrong. It's God's responsibility to give life, and it's God's responsibility to take life. And any time we try to play God and, and take a life, whether it's taking the life, listen, taking the life of a baby in the womb or taking the life of that elderly citizen that may have Alzheimer's has no awareness or quality of life or or even taking your own life because you feel hopeless and that the world would be better without you anytime we do that take life it's wrong I don't want to ever open the door for what has been called mercy killing. Again, whether it's a child in a womb or a parent that won't be able to, uh, or, or a person in a nursing home that has lost all quality of life, regardless of the circumstance, even though in our minds, sometimes we say, well, this is more humane. We're showing them mercy. You know, this child in the womb won't have a good life or, or this person that has Alzheimer's, doesn't have awareness, is just a vegetable. Sometimes it seems humane. But we cannot and we must not take on the role of God and extinguish life. That's not up to us. That's God. And when it comes to suicide, I'm sorry for the way sometimes that the church has been unbending and traditional position of churches around the world has been that, you know what? Suicide automatically destines you for hell. And I realize for many that may be the case. Um, and so I can't just easily preach suicide victims into heaven and say they're in a better place 
They're no longer suffering anymore. I can't do that. But, but having said that, please hear me out. Over the years, and if you want to call me a compromiser, so be it. But over the years, I've developed a greater sensitivity and compassion for those who take their lives and those families who watch their loved ones do it. And because of that, I can't just automatically preach them into hell. I believe that in some cases, people just snap. They just snap. It's not premeditated. Um, they snap because of pain, emotional trauma. They snap. It's a reaction. Sometimes I believe that people are trying to get attention. They're desperate for help. They don't intend to carry it out to the end. But they go too far. And then sometimes when someone takes their life, understand death is not always instantaneous. And so they may have a few seconds or a few minutes to repent. And so, even though honestly, I, I don't want to go into eternity doing this, but who am I to decide who goes to heaven, who goes to hell? Besides that, one of the men in the Bible who took his own life, Samson, this blows my mind, God ended up putting him in Hebrews chapter 11, into the hall of faith as one of the great heroes of the faith. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But I don't have to understand. I'm just grateful that God is just. He's fair. He's merciful. He's full of grace. And before we go on, Again, if anyone is having thoughts of self-harm, please seek out a friend. Let them walk with you during this time. I'm not done yet. I've got three more questions or so, but I, I just want to pause and ask, let's just pray a minute. Lord, I know it's, this is raw. I know this hurts. I know this is something that there are people here in the building right now and those watching the live stream, those listening on the radio, it hurts. Would you bring peace? Would you bring comfort? And for those that feel a sense of desperation and are actually considering this, God, would you help them to just confide in a friend and find some help? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's deal with another question. And this one's a little bit lighter in nature, aren't you glad? <laughs> Can those who are in heaven see what's happening on earth today? We've all heard people say, well, my grandma passed away, and I know grandma's looking down on me and watching over me, and she's with me every day, and they find great comfort in that. And, and if you find comfort in that, that's good. But for me, there are certain things that I do that I don't want my grandma seeing. And, and those who believe that grandma is watching you today, they often point to Hebrews 12 where it says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, they say witnesses means they're witnessing what's going on on earth. But as I looked at that scripture and studied it, I see them as witnesses, not as to what's happening on earth, as much as they are witnesses to the faithfulness and to the goodness and the glory of God. And, and the story that Jesus told in Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man, rich man was in Hades or, or hell, Lazarus was in heaven and 
And the rich man, remember, he remembered he had five brothers that were unsaved. But it doesn't appear that neither he nor Lazarus could see what was going on on earth. In fact, if you could see what was going on on earth from heaven, for many it would cause excruciating pain. So my biblical guess, and this is one of those situations where it's probably more an opinion uh, then a matter backed by scripture, I don't believe that those in heaven can see everything that's going on on earth. And if that shakes your faith, I'm sorry. And since, it, since it's an opinion answer, you can disagree and have your own theory. Number five, how does God determine the timing for taking his children to heaven? Is it random? Does God one day say, okay, let's see, who am I going to take today? <laughs> I think Ryan, I'm going to get Ryan today. I'm going to get Joe. You know, I need another trumpet player in and, and the band. He's not very good, but anyway, he'll be at a thousandth chair or something like that, whatever. How does God determine whom he takes? You know, we hear people say, well, God wanted another rose in his garden, so he chose my loved one, or he wanted another soprano or a bass in his choir, so he took my loved one home. And, and I probably said that, but is that the way that God operates? I mean, think about it. Oh, really, this whole concept doesn't line up to the character of God. To, to think that God is so selfish that he would allow the pain of death in a family just to satisfy his desires to have another choir member or another rose in his garden, that doesn't line up to the character of a loving heavenly father. God doesn't work that way. He says there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. And with our limited understanding, we probably won't be able to fully understand how God decides when it's time for us to take our last breath. But I don't believe he, he selfishly just satisfies his need for another rose in his garden or another voice in his choir. God has predetermined the time for us to die. It may not seem right from our perspective. It may seem way too early. Or sometimes when they're suffering, it may seem way too late. But there's a time to be born, a time to die. It's not by random, not by accident. Number six. Is it possible that death could just be a state where we cease to exist? And the reason I bring this up is because there are those, even in our own community, who would say, well, when you die, it's just, you know, annihilation. You just go into a state of nothingness, kind of like animals. They die, they cease to exist. But when God created us, he created us with a never-dying soul. And in the Bible, with regards to our soul, we read words like eternal, everlasting, forever, will never end, which clearly indicates that once we're conceived and when we become a human being, listen, in our mother's womb, that from that point forward, we will always be in existence. 70, 80, 90 years of that existence will be on earth, but the rest of that never existing, never ending existence will be in the hereafter, either in heaven or in hell. Charles Wesley, who is the brother of John Wesley, whom we would consider to be the father of Wesleyanism and kind of the father of our church, he wrote a, a hymn, and, and Rachel, sang, uh, she sang an old hymn, and, and there's another hymn that's entitled, A Charge to Keep I Have, and it's a great hymn with powerful words, but what Charles Wesley wrote in that first verse encapsulates what Scripture says on this. He writes, a charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, and here it is, a never-dying soul to save 
and fit it for the sky. So if we study the Bible, we see that death is not a state where we will just cease to exist. Death is an event that takes us into our permanent existence in eternity, again, either in heaven or hell, but we will always exist. We're down to our last point. Let's wrestle with the last and probably the most important question of all. Some people want to know, is heaven for us? Because we live in the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt. Is heaven our default destination? And, and I dealt with this just a little bit a few weeks ago, but I, I, I just want to wrap up our series with this sobering question. Is heaven our default destination? And the reason we need to deal with this, because if, if you listen to what we all say when our friends and loved ones die, it almost comes across as heaven is where everybody goes, except for maybe those exceptionally bad sinners. You know, the serial killers, the child abusers, the murderers, the drug dealers, they'll probably go to hell, but everybody else, at least in our community, when they die, they go to heaven. Is that what the Bible teaches? Not really. Not even close. Here's what the Bible teaches. In Matthew 7, 13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And, and catch this word, and many enter through it. So the Bible says that many will go to hell. How about heaven? But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And this phrase really disturbs me. It says, and only a few find it. Did you catch that? A few. Now, thankfully, God so loved the world that whosoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. But just because we're good, conservative, flag-waving, pledge-saying, patriotic people that have been baptized doesn't mean that we will automatically go to heaven. You can wave the flag. You can be the patriot. You can be conservative and be lost as lost can be. And I think many people today are living with what you might call a postmodern view of spirituality. And, and people see God as a journey rather than a savior. And, you know, just go on a journey to be good and do good and try to be a good neighbor. What does Scripture say? Well, in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 13, 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Did you catch that? We must be saved. The journey must include an experience of salvation. We must be saved. And then... After we're saved, in Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So after 
the experience of salvation comes the matter of obedience. So heaven is not our default destination. But we all have the opportunity to choose Jesus and be saved and obey. We can't go off and do our own thing. We must be saved and obey. So as we wrap up our series, let me just remind you of a few things that we've talked about over the last month and a half. Number one, how you live your life this side of the grave determines where you will live your life on the other side of the grave. So be wise in your choices. The way you live today determines where you will live tomorrow. Secondly, know that today and tomorrow and every day, Satan is looking for a way to sneak into your life and get you. His goal is your eternal destruction, and and he's good at what he does. Don't be overconfident. Don't be prideful, because on this earth, you're never above falling by God's grace. We don't have to fall, but if we're not careful, we can fall. Number three, and this is the good news Remember that 777 has conquered 666. In other words, God has overcome Satan. And we can be victorious through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And number four, the key to right living is abiding in Christ. As long as we abide in Him, we're in good hands. But the moment we leave His care... We're on our own. So as we, uh, as we wrap up our series and leave here this morning, here's what I'd like for all of us to do. Could we just, in a moment of transparency to God, just search our hearts and ask Him to search our hearts. And if there is sin in your life, unconfessed sin, if there's disobedience, Could we just right now confess that to Jesus and say, God, forgive me. And then begin obeying him. Would you just bow your heads, please? Oh, God, we we come to you at the close of the morning, the close of our series. I realize part of this lesson has been very, very painful. We've laughed, but yet, Lord, some of us have cried. God, what really matters when we come down to the end of this life is, did we have an encounter with Jesus Christ and did we obey Him? So, Lord, in this moment of transparency, God, I pray that you would just help us to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin in our lives, that we, would, that we would follow you. God, don't let anybody be lost. Lord, whether they're listening here, the live stream, the radio, I pray, oh God, that you would search our hearts. And God, would you be faithful to bring to mind the sin that's there, the disobedience, the attitudes, the motives. And Lord, would you forgive us and would you cleanse us? And thank you that you've made preparation so that, Lord, we can live with you. Lord, sometimes we think it's too hard, 
But sometimes, Lord, it's just so easy that we don't do it. We want to do stuff. We want to try to do all of these things, jump through all kinds of hoops whenever we just must come to you and be saved and believe and obey you. So God, I pray that this morning that you would, uh, that you would have your way in our hearts and that you would cleanse us. And as we leave here, Father, that we would be cognizant of the fact that one day, one day you're going to take us through death. And Lord, the way that we live our lives today will determine where we reside tomorrow. So God, help us to live holy lives, careful lives, prayerful lives. And Lord, for what you do for us, we will praise you. We will thank you. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.